Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, a Hall of Famer, Larry Clisby. Episode 60 here on the podcast, and today we welcome in one of our seniors. As uh, our listeners know, we try to talk to each of our seniors during um, their senior year, and uh, our first one up is uh, senior Evan Boudreaux. And Evan, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So uh, we always talk to, uh, when we when we are talking to players and coaches and um, anybody who's played the game. Um, we always kind of start at the beginning and kind of when your love of basketball developed and, and when you started uh, kind of first picking up that ball and playing. Yeah, well, it was, uh, for me, it was kind of a family thing. So when I was growing up, I always had to be playing sports, but my mom played basketball in college and uh, my dad played ball in high school. And so it was uh, one of those things where, um, and we had a hoop and I just kind of fell in love. I think I started playing as early as like three years old, four years old, just shooting hoops all the time. And, you know, I started probably taking it seriously, probably in like sixth grade, fifth grade. And, you know, from there it just kind of took off. Is it one of those things where you really didn't have a choice? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I could have played in maybe another sport, but you know, basketball was just so natural that for my family, it was no, you know, kind of a no brainer. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's usually a common theme is, um, you know, a, a parent or a sibling or anything, you know, something of that nature. So, um, talk about your siblings. Was there a pretty healthy rivalry there? Oh, without a doubt. I had, so my brother's four years older than me. Um, and he's big, he's six, six, probably he was like two fifties, about my weight now. So we're about the same size. Um, but he's four years older. So when I was growing up, <laughs> he was just starting high school. I was starting middle school. So we would always be Oh, we'd be going at it. We had a half-court basketball court, and we'd be literally getting into fights. And my parents would have to come break us up all the time, like you know, healthy rivalry, sure, you know, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. But yeah. stuff where he, you know, he was bigger, so he'd bully me in the post <laughs> and just back me down and stuff like that. But no, it was good. It was fun. It made me better because I had to fight against the you know bigger guys all the time. So, and this was in the suburbs of Chicago. Yeah, Lake Forest, about 30, uh, 30 miles north, I think, of the city. Yeah. Like so, um, is that where, um, like those early battles with the, with your brother and everything, mm-hmm. is that kind of, would you attribute kind of your, your toughness and kind of that hard nosed mentality that we see now, is that kind of maybe where the, the roots of that took place? Yeah. I mean, a little bit, I you think, uh, kind of have to when you're, really, <laughs> when you're a young sibling, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think a little bit for sure. Um, and I think a lot of it comes from my parents, um, cause when I was growing up, my parents always made it clear to me that, um, you know, your shot's not necessarily always going to fall and you're not always going to be good on offense, but you can always give 100% effort and you can always rebound. Um, and so those are two things uh, they instilled in me at a young age and they also made sure that I was never going to back down from anybody. Um, you know, they'd always, if I played a bad game, they'd always ask, you know, why were you, you looked like you were scared out there. Like, why were you intimidated by those guys? And when I was little, I was like, what do you mean? And, and as I got older, <laughs> as I got older, it really kind of hit home. And, um, you know, I realized I, I couldn't back down to anybody. And, and that was kind of the way I carried myself on the court. It's funny because um, I'm coaching my son. He's in second grade. I'm coaching his team. And I'm starting to see that with some of these guys. They look over who they're guarding. And immediately, that's like the most important thing is who, am I, who do I have oh, to yeah. guard? And then, you know, that look of like, oh, boy, he's like four inches taller than me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's definitely something that goes through a young player's mind. Oh, without a doubt. 
So at what age, when you, as you are playing growing up and everything, at what age did you start to maybe realize that, uh, you know, you had a, had a gift for basketball and maybe you were a little bit better than maybe some of your peers? Yeah. So I kind of developed a little bit earlier. So I was, I hit my growth spurt when I was like 12. So I was wow. like, I was like a six two sixth grader. And so <laughs> for me, it was like, I, you know, basketball is going to be the thing. Um, I always loved playing, but being big at a young age, um, you know, I was, I was a good, obviously in middle school and then in high school, I was more physically developed than a lot of guys and mm-hmm. I'd kind of grown into my body. So it was one of those things where, you know, kind of the love of the game kind of met early maturation. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. so it became really fun at a young age for me. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's always interesting when, uh, I developed really, really late, and so I was like the opposite. I'm like, man, what am I going to grow? This is terrible. But, but uh, you know, those guys that uh, that develop early like that, um, sometimes those guys, I think everybody listening probably went to school with somebody who developed really early, and then sometimes you get to the high school level and they don't even play anymore. Right. Um, and obviously you were able to, uh, um, you know, to continue to excel as you went, you know, through the ranks and everything. Was it one of those things where when you were, because you were big early, did that kind of force you under the basket mm-hmm. and you were just oh, kind yeah. of labeled a big from then, then oh, on? Oh, yeah. As, as <laughs> early as I can remember, I was thrown on the block and, and told, you know, don't miss under the basket, um, which is fine. I mean, I was big and I, I actually had, I had some touch around the basket, so it was cool. But I remember like AAU, I'd be playing like fifth grade. I'd try to dribble down the court and my coach was yelling at me like, get under the block. Yeah. I'm like, coach, like, I have, I'm good. I got it. But yeah, it was, I never had a problem with it. It was just, when you're 6'2 as a 12 year old, you know, that's tough. Now you've, uh, you have a good outside shot. You know, you have a three point prowess to you. So um, when, was that something you were always constantly working on? Is that something you maybe got to a point later that you thought, man, I got to do more than just be under the basket? Or when did that kind of develop? Yeah, when I was in, no, until really I got to high school, I didn't really shoot a bunch of threes necessarily. I would shoot some mid-range and things like that, but not until high school I kind of saw that, you know, if I wanted to keep making those steps to the next level, that um, I really needed to add a consistent outside shot. So when I, as soon as I got to high school, that was one of the things that I worked on the most. And um, I think even in high school, the most, you know, most threes I made in a season were like 25, something like that. So I, I wasn't even really a huge volume guy in high school but um, like I said it's one of those things that you need to really become you know good great elite to kind of keep moving up the levels um, especially when you're you know a six seven you know forward so yeah and I think that sometimes um, it's hard well it's hard too when you're young I mean you get to a point when finally physically you can step out on the perimeter <laughs> and shoot shots right I right mean, that that perimeter game usually is one of the last things to kind of uh, to kind of develop at what point, uh, so as you're, as you're maturing and getting older and, um, you know, you get to the high school level and um, you're, you had a, a tremendous high school career, put up great numbers and everything. Talk, talk about those years and um, what was it like, you know, as you're going through your high school career and then eventually colleges start calling for the recruiting process? Yeah, it was, um, it was interesting. I didn't know actually what high school I was going to go to first. My brother went to the private academy, Lake Forest Academy. Um, and I always, we went to private middle school, so we didn't go to the public middle school. And I was always one of the guys where I wanted to play with the guys I grew up with. And I 
thought it meant something to play for, you know, the town you grew up in and, and you know, yeah, the community. It's, it's special when you have that sense of, of community and, and support from, from the, you know, the people around you. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, you know, I wanted to be able to go in and win, you know, titles for our school and for our town, and I thought that meant a lot. So, um, yeah, so it was, obviously, I, one of the best decisions I've ever made was to go to my public high school. And, um, you know, I had the time of my life for four years. It was awesome. Um, you know, I was, like I said, I was kind of an early bloomer. So, um, you know, I got my first offers when I was a freshman, um, you know, high major offers when I was a freshman in high school, which was pretty wild, yeah, <laughs> um, that's, to be honest. That's rare. And then, um, and then yeah, and then, it, you know, to be honest, it, it was kind of an up and down um, four years. I, you know, Playing-wise, I played well. You know, I, my scoring went up, my rebounding went up every year to where I averaged 25 and 15 for my junior and senior seasons. And then um, recruiting-wise, I injured my wrist on my shooting hand going yep. into my senior um, season, um, which wasn't great for AAU because I <laughs> played all summer on it. Um, and so I'm sure that didn't have, you know, help my recruiting that much. But um, one of the things I always told myself was, you know, my mom went to Dartmouth, my brother went to Dartmouth, right? I always saw the value of what they had gotten out of that school. So my mom obviously has been very successful and she's done really well. Um, my brother loved it, had a great time. He's working out West doing some healthcare startup companies. And, you know, I said, that's a place I can go and I can play. Yeah. You know, I know I can play. They hadn't been to the tournament since I think 1958. Wow. I think it was. Wow. Um, and I looked at it as, how special would that be, right? How, how cool would that be to our class would be the guys to bring it back, right? Obviously, it didn't work out that way, um, you know, unfortunately. But, you know, I'm still glad I think I made the right choice, ultimately. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm glad I came out with my degree. I think, you know, that's going to help me a lot later in life. And obviously, going there got me here. So, well, I definitely want to. I want to talk about those days at Dartmouth, but I want to. I, first, I want to go back to something you said that I thought was really cool, and that's um, at the high school level and playing for your community and that yeah. kind of thing. Um, we, you know, the way basketball and sports has evolved now, uh, and I don't. And I don't know if it's. It's certainly more publicized with sports. I don't know if it's a, it, uh, exclusive to sports, but nowadays, um, young people seem to just kind of go where they want to go. And there's not a as much like sticking it out, and there's not yeah. as much like you know, like you said, like playing for your community and everything. And uh, Cliz, I wanted to ask you because I know we've talked many times, and um, you know, you growing up in Warren, Ohio, like in those days, it was a huge deal to play for your high school, and you know, the community that was that's where it was at was your high school teams, whether it was a football team or a basketball team. Yeah, well, I grew up in a town that was uh, more football oriented than basketball but absolutely um you know uh i i knew as a youngster you know i was oh eight or nine years old i want to be the quarterback of the warren harding panthers <laughs> right yeah and and uh that's all i ever did i carried a football around with me in school and stuff like that and i do silent counts and sometimes do them out loud out <laughs> the playground you know let's go and uh, of course I came from an area that was all Ohio State and Notre Dame 
mm-hmm. uh, because most of the, the big Catholic schools in Cleveland uh, have a lot of Notre Dame followers. But um, uh, yeah, and uh, of course, basketball to us was a little bit backwards. But my dad, who was a big Harding fan and a big booster, he was a optometrist, and for some reason, his, my mother talked to him and said. I can't go to Warren Harding because the school's too big and he won't get a good education, of course. <laughs> <laughs> By the time I ended up going to college, uh, I didn't even think about that, but uh, uh, there's no question. And of course, I was heartbroken because he took football away from me because the school I went to didn't have football at the time. They do now and they do very well at it, but. If you were in a morning Ohio and didn't play football, you were a loser. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because last our last podcast, Evan, we talked to uh, Troy Lewis, a great player here, and he talked about he went to Anderson High School, and he just said, that's all I thought about as a kid. Like, I wanted to be – like, the world didn't exist outside of Anderson, and all I wanted to do was be – I can't wait to one day try to play for the Anderson Indians. And so it's cool to hear you say that because I think um, – that was probably the mentality way back when, mm-hmm. but but to hear from somebody your age, I think is pretty cool. So I think that's that's pretty unique. So yeah, I mean, you know, I grew up, so I, people might not remember, but um, you know, in my high school, there was first there was Rob Polinka, so he was our leading scorer, and he was obviously went with the Fat Five, and yep. you know, was very successful. And then um, as I was growing up, I obviously played feeder and I played everything like that. But we had a guy Matt Vogridge who went to Michigan. And he was, you know, when I was a kid, you know, he was like the guy. Like, he was your guy. Gyms were sold yeah. out. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, everybody went. And, um, you know, I always grew up and I was like, God, that would be so cool to be a part of something like that. And my freshman, sophomore year, you know, we had good attendance, but, you know, we weren't great. And um, my junior and senior year, there were literally games where they had satellite TV set up in another gym really an hour and a half before the game wow because it was already sold out that's really cool so you know those experiences with everybody you know that was where everybody was yeah you know that's all everybody talked about um that was very cool that's awesome that's really cool stuff so obviously um and and we got to know you a little bit in high school you know we recruited you i remember you coming down making visits down here to campus and um uh and and then as you said you make the decision uh to go to dartmouth um um, talk to me too. You that yeah, you had that familiarity because of your mom and your brother. Mm-hmm. How many times had you been out there beforehand? It probably just to see your brother and stuff, right? I, yeah. I would imagine quite a few. Yeah, I had gone out and visited him, um, stayed with him. Um, he he went there to play football, and then he became a regular student after an injury. So he had a good view on kind of both worlds. You know what yeah. what it's like to be an athlete, but also what it's like to be a student and, and the things that the school offers. So. Yeah, definitely visiting him and, and hearing their experiences was was huge for me. So, how was your transition? You you're a freshman at Dartmouth. You get to campus. T- talk about that. What how what was the big changes and you know and, and how did you adjust? Yeah, that was uh, that was an adventure for me. Um, mostly because we were big morning workout people. So um, our program at the I, high school level, you mean? Uh, well, at the high school and in college, so okay. both. So we do okay. we do early gyms and open gyms in high school, but in college, when I got there, it was either six a.m. lift or six a.m. conditioning, pretty much Monday through Friday, right? Okay. So um, one of the things about Dartmouth is they make you take a language, 
So you have to get through level three of a language. And I had taken Chinese since I was a sixth grader. Okay. Fifth grader, sorry. So I was like, oh, easy. Chinese. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I wanted to be different. You know, it was it was different. My my school was offering it. And I well, actually, I it, loved it. And it's really cool. The way the world's going now, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean. The, I took Latin. <laughs> you know what? I took Latin, too, because I... I took Latin because I wanted to learn more of a base of language, and um, yeah, in hindsight, I wish I would have taken Spanish, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think that's really cool that you, just because the world, as everybody knows, is just continues to shrink, and mm-hmm. um, so, so how's your how's your skills now with your Chinese? Are you still... Uh, I wish they were better. I lost a lot of it, to be honest with you, because it's so intricate, like, you, you know, to write each symbol is so... Um, it just it takes a lot so, yeah because everything is different you know everything means something different and one of the things about Chinese is you can say the exact same word the same intonation and it'll mean five different things right oh, so wow. you really have to be on top of it to, to kind of go um, and my Chinese teachers would always tell me you know it's going to take you many years of schooling just to read a newspaper just because it's wow. so you know there's so many symbols so I lost, unfortunately, a lot of it, but uh, it's something I'd, I'd look into picking up, I think, again. Um, well, I know um, in my limited travel in Asia, just when, you know, you go to Europe and you see road signs, and it may be in Italian or French or whatever, and you can kind of you can kind of get yeah, your way through more it, right? or less, yeah. When you go to Asia <laughs> and you see, like, a road sign, it's anybody's guess. Oh, yeah. It's you like know? pictures. You have no yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah, that is wild. That's very interesting that you took. Uh, so, so then did you continue that at Dartmouth? So yeah, so I had to take it at Dartmouth. Okay. So I took it. My first three terms were on trimesters, so I took it my whole first year. Okay. But the biggest change was we'd have six a.m. You know, say we have a conditioning test at six a.m. Okay. Well, there was a day I had a conditioning test at six a.m. that went all the way to seven seven thirty. Then I had a Chinese test at eight, <laughs> and I I had Chinese every day from eight to ten. Wow. Monday through Friday. No kidding. So I was, oh boy, I was like gassed by the time I got out of that Chinese class. I was like wrecked. Um, so that was one of the biggest changes for me was just kind of adjusting to like, yeah, this is real. Like, you, know, yeah. you guys are you guys are pros more or less. You know, you got to be on top of your stuff. So and was, and really no opportunity for any late nights at all. No, not. not <laughs> I mean, you're you're yeah, getting, like you're getting to bed, or you're paying the price yeah, the next day. I mean, you're up at five fifteen. You're going till six seven. There's no, you know, there's no messing around. So, so um, your 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 degree at Dartmouth was in sociology. Sociology. Okay. Yeah. So, talk about the rigors of a of an Ivy League education. I mean, you you touched on a little bit with the foreign language, but um, you know, was. What was the, the class load? I mean, it's it's the real deal, obviously. And Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I think people probably make it out to be, you know, this, you know, overbearing monster. But um, I think one of the best things about those kind of schools is the interactions between the classmates and the teachers. Every mm-hmm. teacher or most teachers I had were incredibly personable and they genuinely cared about, you know, your life and how you were doing and anything they could do to help. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't do myself any favors by going the maximum course load for four straight <laughs> terms. Um, so that made my experience a little bit harder, but, um, it's one of those things where if you can really be a good time manager 
and and really you know be on top of your stuff it's really manageable yeah and um you know one of the things i did really genuinely love about dartmouth was the fact that it's a liberal arts college and so i took anything from um you know i took environmental sciences and i took a policy or a class on nuclear weapons and policy taught by like one of the experts who gives yeah. briefings to the joint chiefs of staff like every couple weeks and so my horizons were just crazy mind blown mind blown yeah, on a weekly basis like huh? i would i would go from like an economics class on you know america on american history and, and then i'd go straight to learning about the the yields of a nuclear bomb i mean it was like <laughs> crazy things yeah um so yeah they kept you on your toes that's for sure that's really cool so what was your of all those kind of um unique classes what was your favorite oh nuclear weapons really oh my god not even close yeah nuclear weapons and policy was by far my favorite the guy his name's daryl press and he's like in his 40s and he i've never met he is one of the smartest people i've ever seen i mean he man i we were we were doing things like learning about how governments interact based on deterrent strategies to you know if they fired this weapon from here could it hit you know x and um god it was just one i went i've never been more studiously taking notes in my <laughs> whole life i was fascinated by and when you're fascinated it makes the note taking really way easy easier. Doesn't? Yeah. Way, yeah yeah oh yeah. my god i i did so well in that class yeah. i was just so locked <laughs> yeah. in like yeah not miss anything so i i listened to a uh, podcast american history tellers which is uh, excellent almost as good as the boiler ball podcast by the way <laughs> and uh um, one of the episodes was, or one of the seasons, it might have been the first season, was talking about the uh, the Cold War. And during the height of the Cold War, apparently the United States had planes that would fly that ha- had nuclear a nuclear arsenal on board mm-hmm. in the event that something went down on the on the land on land. And if everything was obliterated, there would still be a plane up there to make sure that Russia was finished. <laughs> And we ran these planes like twenty four seven for years, yep. and they were stationed like in the I think up in the Arctic. Um, but just amazing, like oh, all that stuff behind the scenes that you know never saw the light of day, and now like you know now starts coming out is just fascinating. Oh. The the nuclear bomb that basically a plane crashed in North Carolina and mm-hmm. almost detonated it didn't go off. Yeah. yeah, and like if it would have would have wiped out half the Eastern Seaboard. It's I crazy. mean, that stuff is. It's scary, but it's also so interesting and fascinating. So I can absolutely see why that class would have been uh, would have been really cool. I'm guessing, Cliz, that you didn't have any class like that when you were in school at Kent State. Oh heavens, heavens, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't have that. I didn't. Have- I, was, I was in high school and uh, I graduated. In, uh, what year did I graduate? '65. So you know, back in those days. I mean, this is a real threat. A nuclear bomb was a real threat because no one knew what it was. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I mean, the average person, you know, we didn't we didn't stress about it because we didn't know what it did. And uh, you know, and nowadays, you know, all you have to do is see something, and you can reference it a million ways, and you'll see the damage that one can do and stuff like that. So it would be scary as heck right now, but. Well, I was growing up, nuclear bomb, what's that? You know, during the Bay, uh, the, uh, you know, the, Bay what was, 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, remember when, uh, or or remember when um, Russia was there was a threat that they were going to bomb us the, to to the ends of time, and and um, Kennedy had to deal with that, and you know it was. I mean, every minute of that uh, decision was based on. You know what's going to happen to the people. Yeah. You know, Kennedy had to worry about uh, what's going to happen to all these people. These these are people. These are Americans, and um, and but we never we never felt that threat. You know, for about ten days we did, but not. You know, we'd have to do. Uh, well, all that stuff is. As, you know, it was kept secret. I mean, all that stuff, and that's the. I think that's but how probably. Do you, how do you keep? How do you what, keep it secret? Well, that was before Twitter. <laughs> they could exactly. Keep, yeah, they could keep all that stuff secret. Now, nowadays, it's really hard to keep to keep things secret with with uh, the way information, as you said, a million different ways you can reference something, um, and that's a there's a, that's a there's a big change, uh, a huge change to all that stuff. Um, I was gonna ask. I was gonna say something else. And I forget what it was. But anyway, we'll move on. Um, so, basketball-wise at Dartmouth, um, you're playing, um, playing well. Um, talk about what that was like at that level. You know, the the following, the gym sizes. I mean, you probably had. I don't, I don't know if I'm accurate in this, but your environment in high school might have been as good as yeah. what you were playing with there. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a little bit of a shock. Um, you know, so I'll say that Hanover is a really small town, right? So it's, it's really pushed into the woods in New Hampshire and it's, it's about two and a half hours north of Boston. So it's, okay. you know, it's, it's pretty out there. So, um, you know, saying that, um, I think we had one of the 30 smallest gyms, I think in the country. Um, you know, we take bus buses everywhere. Um, I think I took two plane rides my whole really? uh, career there. What was your um, farthest bus trip? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, so in the way Ivy League plays is we play Friday, Saturday, right? Yeah. So um, every week in conference play, you're, you're going to play, you have travel buddies. So our buddy was Harvard. So um, me, us and Harvard would play the same two teams. So we'd play, for instance, one of the weekends is Penn-Princeton. So you go to the Palestra in Philly, Yeah. and then you have to drive all the way to New Jersey. Or you play at Cornell in upstate New York, and then have to drive to New York City to play Columbia the next day. So we'd have, we'd go six hours to play Cornell, play the game, hop on a bus six hours that night, have to play the next day, six hours back after. Did you um, travel on game day? Yeah, we'd, we'd have, well, we'd have to travel that night, and I mean it would. Yeah, you know, I mean the second night, but the first night first you would night get in. go the day before. Okay, yeah, go the day be before, nice. get up, play the game, but then you're right on the bus yep. to that city and you're playing again that night. Yep. Wow. Yeah, it was an experience. I mean, when you got six, eight, six, nine sitting next to each other on a bus, it gets really, really yeah. cozy. Uh, really so what's quick. the difference? So, so what's the difference now that you've seen? I mean, you you must think that the college travel, at least at the Big Ten level, is is like being in the big leagues. Yeah. Oh, it's it's a world of difference. Um, you know, being able to leave on a on a plane and get there, you know, way quicker and more comfortable is it's big for the athlete just because um, you know the recovery and the you know not being crammed into a bus for six hours after right. you play is 
it's huge. It makes you feel so much better. It's just so much easier. And that's one of the big, um, I think for, uh, our listeners and stuff, that's one of the biggest changes in, in, uh, college athletics and in probably sports in general has been this term recovery that you hear so much. And it's not, um, it's one of the reasons you've seen the NBA schedule change and kind of be spaced out more. There's games starting earlier now in the NBA in terms of the month of November, earlier in November, end of October, really. Um, and going further uh, into the spring um, because they want to space the games out. They want to try to avoid back-to-backs and uh, they want to give more recovery time. It's one of the reasons we changed practice schedules uh, a few years ago where we practice now 42 days. We start practice 42 days before the beginning of the season. Um, There's been a big emphasis placed on that. And you're right, when you have to go back-to-back, and it's not just that you have to go back-to-back. You you can do that. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're going to do it here in a couple weeks in Destin, Florida. As part of that tournament, we're going to play back-to-back days. But it's it's really how you go back-to-back. Right. You know, you're cramped on a bus for six hours, oh, yeah. unable to stretch. You play 35 <laughs> minutes. You get on a six-hour bus ride, you got to play 35 minutes the next night. It's a different animal. It's different. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, different uh, – what was the – obviously, long bus trips and everything. What was your most memorable experience basketball-wise at Dartmouth? Well, that's a good question. Um, Might have been know, a game or maybe an individual performance? Or? Yeah, I mean, personally, from an individual standpoint, my very first college game um, was something that seems like it's like out of a you know, movie for me just because um, you know I had found out I was starting like two weeks before in our scrimmage or a week before in our scrimmage. Um, played awful, just played horribly. Um, and then still got the start. We were playing at Seton Hall at the Prudential Center. Okay. And um, I remember every moment of that. I mean, it was the coolest thing. I was in a real arena. I was, um, they had the New Jersey Devils scouting report was still in the locker room when we walked in. So I got, so that was cool. And then um, I went out and um, I had 25 and 6 in my first college game. And it was Jeez. just something that um, you're just getting kind of one of those zones and everything's falling and you're just making all the right, you know, the reads and everything. And, um, just that you're almost in shock afterwards. You're just like, oh my god, I can't believe it. Um, so yeah, that and was, it's not like you did it against you know a yeah. D three exhibition game. You right. know, this is the real deal, as you right. said, Seat Hall and Big Arena, and that's pretty impressive. Yeah, so that was cool. I mean, I had I had a bunch of people. My whole family was there, and um, yeah, like you said, to do it against a team like that with a bunch of future pros on their team too was was pretty cool. That's awesome. So as you go through. Um, as you go through your career there, at, when did the notion of maybe continuing to play at a different place, when did that start kind of popping in? Yeah, I mean, um, it was frustrating to go through all the losing for me. Um, you know, obviously, um, I had played well personally, um, you know, from a statistics standpoint, but uh, it was tough for me to go 2-10 and 10 in the league to go, you know, 7-20. and 20. Um, That was hard. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's really hard as an athlete, as a college athlete, to put all the work in, uh, as you know, uh, all that we do, um, whether it's lifting, whether it's shooting on our own, whether it's practicing running, it's hard to do that for, you know, two years and, and really not see, you know, growth. And um, after my freshman year, my coach was let go. So um, a new coach came in and played a year for him. And, um, you know, I just became one of those things where, you um, 
I felt that it would be better for my career and I felt that you know I still wanted to get my degree but I felt like um, you know it was just time for me to kind of move on and um, you know it's not one of those things that I had planned or you know ever thought I would actually do to be honest with you right because um, I took a lot of pride in, in going to Dartmouth and, and finishing it out there and like I said you know earlier I wanted to do right by the school and, and try and help bring them back but you know unfortunately like I guess it didn't work out that way um, but you know, I think if but I got would, your degree, got my degree, yeah. and I think if I had to do it all over again, and I'd, I'd do it the same. And and uh, got your degree in three years. Yep. So obviously worked hard uh, to load up with classes to be <laughs> able to do that, um, which is you know at any I don't care what school you're at is is uh, not the easiest thing to do, especially when you're playing a a, a sport and, and all the time that's involved in that. Um, you know, you talked about the the time that goes in and how the losing is frustrating. Um, you know, and for all our listeners too, like if for our fans, like when we lose, everybody's miserable. Fans are miserable, but I'll tell you when, with, when you go through it and you put the time in and you have to sit in it every day, yeah. that is, that is misery. And oh, we've yeah. all been part of that. Um, if you do it long enough, you're going to be part of some losing seasons. And, uh, boy, there's, there's, I'd rather go get a few root canals yeah. uh, every day than go through that. It is pure misery. So, yeah. so you make the decision to you, you get your degree and you you um, make your decision to take advantage of one of the relatively new rules in mm-hmm. college basketball. When you finish your undergrad degree, if you still have ac- athletic eligibility left, um, you can move on and, and play. And uh, you're in a unique position because you have two years to play. Yep. Most times when you are graduating. And moving on to do a postgrad to do postgrad work somewhere as a transfer, um, normally you'll have one year. And our fans, you know, we've had a handful of players over the years: the Spike Albrechts, the Johnny Hills, the um, John Octiuses that have taken advantage of that rule. Um, Evan, your situation a little different with the two years. Yep. Yeah, and it was one of those things um, where I looked at you know my situation when I was in school, and I said, you know, I could have you know played out, have one year, played out go now and have two years and um obviously i think it it separates you a little bit you know because it's hard to come in i think and fully grasp everything that they want you to do and really it's only three months of the summer yeah and then it really starts so um you know having that extra year i said even coming into the summer is i felt so much more comfortable just knowing you know what to do and being able to play instead of you know Oh my God! Like, what? Are, what is this? Like, what are we, right. what are we doing? Um, you know that sense of familiarity. I think having two years is, is awesome. Talk about one of you, what? What was one of your biggest adjustments from a basketball standpoint? I know that every program does things different. Even mm-hmm. even from your high school, um, you know, terminology is different. Um, emphasis, things that are emphasized by coaches are different. What was one of the biggest um, changes when you got here to Purdue? What was something you kind of were like, wow, this is different, the way they do this? What would what, what would maybe be the biggest change? Yeah, I think, you know, we mentioned that um, growing up I was always kind of a post player, right? So even at Dartmouth, um, we would switch three ways usually, or sometimes not even that. We You know, we'd hedge a lot and, and do things like that. So I was never really put in or worked on, to be honest with you, because I never had to because that was the way we played defense was – you know, being able to switch and, and contain guys, you know, quicker guards off the dribble, we would always hedge or down or 
do things like that with me and our center. Yeah. So, you know, coming here and, and to be honest with you, another hard part was I did take the year off and I didn't take it off in the sense of I didn't do anything. Sure. But not being able to practice against Division One players for six months, you're going to be rusty. Absolutely. You know? um, so that was tough on me. I mean, I would try to play with football players and play in like co- the co-rack and do things like that, but it's not the same. So yeah. trying to adjust to the speed and the skill and stuff like that, again, um, took me a little bit of time. But, um, you know, like I said, um, at the end of the day, it is basketball. And so at the end of the day, it's, it's a lot of the things you've been doing since you were little. And once you kind of realize that, it's it's a little bit easier. And, you know, I think, and I guess, I, I guess I've realized this, but it's something that maybe I didn't spend a whole lot of time thinking about, is the fact that when a guy comes in um, as a fifth year, it is a, I mean, it's a huge adjustment. And mm-hmm. you, like you said, you arrive in June. And the season starts in November, and bang, you got to go right now. And, yep. you know, when you come in as a freshman, there's a little bit of a learning curve like, you know, hey, we're, you're not counted upon necessarily. Some guys are counted upon just because you may be deficient in a, in a position or something like that. But for the most part, freshmen are going to get a little bit of um, leeway and a little bit of a uh, break so to speak yeah. and when you're when you're a fifth year guy it's like no you got to do this now and right yeah that is a that, that'd be interesting when we talk to jihad proctor later in the year um uh, to kind of get his take on that because yeah there's there's really no grace period for you no especially <laughs> not you know when you're learning your uh your third system in three years you know yeah. and jihad i'm sure can speak to that too and you gotta yeah. just flip everything and learn new things you kind of get good at it after a while yeah but, uh, but it's still it's tough yeah no absolutely so well as uh as um Cliz talked about um you know the life in the big 10 and the travel obviously a lot different um and, and going from playing um to one of the smallest gyms in america and now playing to be able to play in a Mackey, um you know talk about that and then the fact that last year um, you know, you come in and, and you're able to win a Big Ten championship. That had to be um, that had to be a, a really cool way to kind of make the transition. And and I know something that as we talked about, you were looking for. You know, being part of a winning team and sure. NCAA tournament aspirations and those kind of things. Yeah, and uh, it was it was definitely um, an adjustment trying to get used to playing in a place just like Mackey, just because you don't you really don't see places like that across the country um you know i mentioned that we played in like the prudential center we played um at boston college but you know it's it's very different than playing in a, in a pack mackey um you know it, it, you really get the chills down your spine the first right. time you walk on that court yeah uh, it's really cool so that for me was awesome and then obviously last year we were so successful and like i said when i left and i've been pretty consistent was i left because i wanted to win and you know um, obviously, I got hurt last year, which is frustrating from a personal standpoint. But to see us grow from a six and five team to being able to get a number three seed in the NCAA tournament and win a Big Ten title and go to the Elite Eight, um, it really fulfilled a lot of the things that I wanted um, to accomplish when I left school. So, um, you know, from that standpoint, it was you know, it was everything I wanted when I left for sure. So. Um talk about uh, we, we we talked about your family at the beginning and we talked about uh, obviously your mom played at Dartmouth so now when you play um, those post-game conversations and just talking about basketball in general who's uh, who's who's your go-to mom or dad 
I know they're both oh, big both. basketball Yeah, yeah. both. Uh, they're both really into it. Um, now, are they separate conversations, or is this a conference call that maybe happens? Ooh, that's a good, I know it, they're they're at a, almost all the games, and yeah. I know that uh, you know you you obviously get to spend time afterwards. Um, what are those conversations like? Usually, they'll take turns. So usually, one will say their piece, <laughs> yeah. and then the other will say theirs. So it's it, it, it'll go all the way back and forth, but. Uh, no, one of the great things about about having you know my parents is and so involved and so close is that they have such um, great knowledge not only of basketball but of of life and how to conduct yourself and, and the right things to do and, and having them you know when I get emotional or upset or um, you know something doesn't go right having them to lean on and especially after games if I play poorly or you know whatever um, you know they're so knowledgeable and, and they know so much about people that it's it's so helpful and me they know everything about me and how i react to things that you know they've been they've been great and having them available after games and and close by is is awesome well and especially now in this day and age where you guys are under such a microscope Mm -hmm. and we've talked about this a lot on the podcast in in previous episodes and you know the pressure and the the constant scrutiny that comes you know via social media or Mm -hmm. things of that nature um, it's it's hard, and yeah. to have that um, support network is huge um, for anybody. And it's it's uh, it, it's good to to know that uh, you know you you've got that. And I can I can imagine too because I know you, I know your parents. I know they're, <laughs> they're both very competitive. Oh um, yeah. As I think I think most of our parents are very competitive of, of our of our guys. And I can uh, I can would love to be a fly on the wall in some of those post-game conversations (laughs) oh yeah they're two of the most competitive people you'll ever meet that's for sure so talk about um it was publicized a little bit um before we we always end our podcast with the final four questions and and we'll get to that here in a second but i wanted to talk about and it ties in with your family talk about your tattoo It was publicized a little bit about last year um, but tell our listeners um, that the, the backstory behind that yeah, so my dad, uh, I was at Dartmouth um, my last year there, so actually I wasn't playing, but uh, he got diagnosed with um, cancer in his duodenum, um, and so, you know, luckily we caught it early, and, and he was able to have a, a procedure um, that, you know, was curative and took it out, um, but, um, you know, there were some tough moments, and there have been some complications after that, um, you know, my, my brother and I... Um, he came to me with the idea, you know, I was alone at Dartmouth, he was out in California, and he called me one night and, and had the idea, and this is while my dad was going through some, you know, some, some tough times, and, um, you know, he said, you know, what do you think about kind of a tribute to our dad? And I said, you know, obviously I'm in, you know, what are you thinking? Yeah, and he was like, you? he was like, well, you know, I, I think, I think we should do a tattoo, and I was like, I'm in. You know, what's what do you want? He goes, I already know exactly what I want, like what we should get. So he sends me a picture. You can Google it, but it's one of the most famous T Rex skulls, and it's correct. So it's anatomically correct. So you can see, you know, the you can see the, the dimples and the the right teeth and, and everything, right? And so I was like, all right. So keep in mind, this is from two guys <laughs> in a family who were like. No tattoos, you know, not till you're 18. Um, and so we were both like, we're in, we're, we're going to do it, right? So we call our dad and, and my dad, 
and we're a little hesitant just because you don't know, right? Sure. With a parent, you're not, you're not sure. And we told him, and, and he got, like, really teary-eyed and, and started, you know, emotionally, you know, a little crying a little bit and um, was like, I love it. Like, that means so much to me. And then we were like, well, here's the thing. Like, you have to get it too, right? Yeah. And so he was like, oh, my God. Yes. So, so not the answer we were necessarily expecting, right? So we flew out. We got it done by the same tattoo artist in California. Um, my uncle Scott, who's my my dad's brother, my dad's four brothers, um, got it too. And um, that's awesome for us. It's just a, a really good, a really cool tribute to my dad and everything he's done for us. He retired when he was in his early forties to take care of my brother and I. Um, and so, you know, obviously watching him go through that and. and for everything he's done for us. Um, it, it means a lot. You know, he says it makes him smile every day when he gets up in the morning. So I bet. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things that we're super happy we did. And why did you choose that particular tattoo? Um, so, yeah, so we, growing up, went out to Montana and uh, dug dinosaur bones a couple summers when I was little. So we have a ranch out there now. Um, we got it a couple years ago. And, um, shoot i mean you can find anything from t-rex skulls and teeth to raptor claws i mean any dinosaur you can think of pretty much is out there and that's not something every uh every kid does so it was special to us yeah it's kind of like a boudreaux like thing yeah um you know i don't know of anybody else who, who takes you know kids out to go dig dinosaur bones so for us it was like well we're gonna get a tattoo well what means the most to our family like what's unique to us and yeah. we looked at that and we were like oh my yeah, god perfect. that's very unique yeah. so when you start like and you say hey we're gonna start a new plot so to speak mm-hmm. is it totally random is there a method to where you start to dig or yep. yeah so there it's not just you know a lot of people think well it's just you know, we're just gonna dig in this yeah, spot for right. instance right <laughs> um a lot of it honestly is done just looking so you'll look you'll you'll hike you hike a lot of miles yeah um and when you find you'll find stuff literally so it's funny literally you'll find you'll find more bone than you can keep out there so people think oh you're going down you're not going to find anything for you might find one thing in a couple months right you will find more in one day than you can keep so you actually don't keep most of what you find because it's so prevalent right wow but say you find so i'll give you an example so i was a kid i was fourth grade we're at the bottom of a hill, find a little piece of bone. And when you find a bone, you look up because it had to have fallen, right? So I look up, another piece of bone a little bit up the hill. Same thing, another one a little bit up. Eventually there's a whole triceratops leg sticking out of the hill. No right? kidding. So I was like, I was like nine, like 10. And wow. I found like the whole femur and it was huge. That and so crazy. that hooked me. I was like, I'm in yeah. you know, forever. Um, so yeah, it's really, once you find it, and then a lot of times what will happen is they're called channel deposits. So um, where we're looking used to be a river or okay. a, a big body of water, right? Yeah. And so obviously it's not anymore, but when it was, when, when everything died, everything was kind of pushed into the river and yep. kind of swirled around and deposited in the same place. So you can find anything from 20 T-Rex teeth to a raptor claw, to a whole jaw to a whole skeleton in the same 10 foot by five foot area which is good and bad i would think good because wow all these bones bad because like i would want and maybe this is the ocd in me coming out (laughs) but i would want to be able to like okay we're gonna get the whole triceratops Mm -hmm. here over here we're gonna get the whole but 
in this case, you got to kind of sift through and determine which is which. Yeah, and I mean, you can still find. I mean, you could walk, and, and one of the coolest things I got to say is, you know, nobody's been on this land, right? So anytime you walk around a hill or you walk over, you know, a mountain, there could be anything. There could wow. literally be a dinosaur just sitting on the open. That is And it's amazing. the coolest yeah. sense of, like, excitement and thrill. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I love it. That is really cool. That is fascinating. I, I can't believe... When I... Um, and this is the first time I've talked to you about your tattoo. I read the story last year, and I mm-hmm. never got in, into specifics. I can't believe I didn't, didn't earlier, because <laughs> this stuff is completely fascinating to me and really cool. That is awesome. And that would be... Yeah, I could see where that would be totally intoxicating to be able oh, yeah. to just have that rush of seeing something that nobody else, as you said, nobody Never. else has seen. Yeah, for millions and millions of years. You're the first one to ever see it. It's cool. That's really cool. So do you guys have quite the bone collection? Oh, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, our house is like a museum. I mean, we've got <laughs> we've got everything, everything. You what's the coolest, have. like, what's the one piece you just think is, is, is your favorite? Oh, one piece I think is my favorite. Mm, that's tough we have do you have a favorite dinosaur yeah i mean i like the t-rex sure. I mean, how can you not yeah, right? right right but um if we if i had to say a favorite piece mm, we have um well we have a we have a full saber-toothed tiger skull with, really with the giant fangs that come oh so wow that, i love that's that. really that's cool. cool yeah really cool yeah Wow. So, what when do you have any idea at when um, the when these dinosaurs were at their peak? What was the topography or what was the climate like where your place is at now? Do you guys have any idea? I mean, if it's saber tooth, it might have been colder. Yeah, I mean, we 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 don't. So we have other things also that we haven't found. So you know, not everything is necessarily from gotcha. our place. Gotcha. But, um, I think one of the cool things is when you go out there, everything is layered and visibly layered. So you can actually count the time periods okay. based on the sediment in the in the yeah um, the mountain, the, the hills. So you can literally see a full map of like we know to look here. This dinosaur will be in this area because this you know soil is here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it is pretty cool. That is awesome, boy. I could talk about that for a couple <laughs> hours, but. Uh, Larry, you ever heard anything like that? No. That's amazing. It's fascinating, though. Fascinating. You weren't digging for dinosaur bones growing up in Ohio? (laughs) Uh, No, I was lucky to do anything. Uh, You know, you're talking about academics. I mean, that was a a chore for me. So um, my dad was a doctor, so that made it really tough. Man, that is just fascinating stuff with the dinosaurs. I mean, I'm blown away. Oh, yeah blown away that's really cool so well that's going to transition us in because it's so off topic um to the final four which are four off topic questions that we like to ask everybody here Ev. so our first question here on the final four is uh, what is your go-to music of choice Ooh, go-to music uh i'd say pre-game it's probably hip-hop rap uh if i'm just hanging out in a normal mood i like rock alternative you know pop that kind of thing do you have a favorite artist or band uh Mm. I don't know if I do. I I like a bunch of different styles. So um, for me, like I don't. The only thing I'm not really into, and I know this is going to break your heart, but I'm not a big country guy. Oh, I'm not either. Okay, all right. We're on the same page. We are on the same page. But everything else is I'm pretty good with. So uh, I'll listen to 
put my phone on shuffle and it is a trip. I promise it's crazy, you. Yeah. Huh? Oh, it's wild. Well, I'm not a big. Uh, I should say I'm not a big modern country. I'm a big. Um, I, I do like the old school uh, country guys. You know, Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash, mm-hmm. uh, Merle Haggard, Waylon Jennings guys. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the modern guys. Um, but uh, so yeah, we're 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 in agreement there. Question two here on the final four is, um, what is your favorite book or maybe a good book you've read recently? Yeah, I just uh, it's I so I don't know if you've seen you watch much Netflix at all. Yeah. Okay, so I just watched the Bill Gates. Okay. Um, series that they put out, and that inspired me to really really start reading. So I I've finished four books in the last couple of weeks. I mean I've been hitting it hard. Um, I read uh, it's a so it's a book called Bad Blood. Okay. It's about. Uh, Elizabeth Holmes, who was a investor in Silicon Valley, and she started this blood company that promised to I do. I think my wife read that book. Yeah, because I've seen it at our house. It is wild. I mean, yeah. the stuff that they did—they had a valuation of like eight billion dollars, and they lied about everything. So it's—if you want to read one of those stories, I'm pretty sure we have that book sitting at home. I would highly recommend okay. reading it. Yeah, it's very cool. Just crazy. Do you have a favorite topic that you like to read about, or is it kind of all over the place, like your music? It's a little bit all over. Yeah. Uh, I like, I will say recently, I've liked a lot more of like nonfiction and, and more, you know, things that have really happened just because a lot of times the nonfiction can be crazier than the, the fiction. And just, yeah. Like, you can't believe the kind of things that people have done. And um, I've read, you know, the um, General Matt, Mattis, um, his book. Uh, I just read that recently. Um, I read the Edward Snowden biography that he wrote, the autobiography. Um, it's just I, I, something about nonfiction, hearing real stories, yeah. that really just gets me. So um, that's my favorite. My son uh, reads a bunch of uh, nonfiction history, like Who Was books. They're for mm-hmm. little kids. And he's read so many that he's been told by the teacher, you need to move on to some other stuff because <laughs> you're, you need to broaden your horizons a little bit. So. Um, Question number three here on the final four is, uh, if you could wave a wand and do any profession starting tomorrow, what would that be? Any profession. So I would love, personally, I would love to own my own business and, and own you know, a very successful own business. Um, you know, any I particular would, business? No, to be honest with you. I There's something, since I was little, I've always loved being able to start something and then watch it grow and, and be able to put in place the things that make it happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always, like video game wise, like I love things where I can like start something like a business simulator and like watch it grow and make those decisions. You know, so I, I've always been very interested in entrepreneurship and being able to be like the guy who can kind of put things in place and watch it. Did you ever play go. Civilization? I literally played it. <laughs> Like two days ago, like I, I play that game all the time. That is wild. So I had a, a college roommate who um, played Civilization all the time. Really? And so I, one day I was like, "Hey man, what are you doing back here all the time? Like, you know, no, not trying to get in your business, but like, is there something we need to be worried about? Like, you're back here in your room all the time." And he, he was like, oh, "I'm playing this game, Civilization." And he, he showed me, and, and it is, it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty fascinating. And if, especially if you're a history buff, and Yep. For those listening, it's basically a you start a civilization, 
Uh, and you pick one, like, you know, it could be the Incas, the Mayas, the Germans, the Americans, whatever it might yep. be. You start a civilization and you develop cities, then multiple, uh, first one city, then multiple cities, and then cre- increase your territory. And then you start having decisions to make. Do we want to attack a neighboring yep. civilization? And you develop everything from weapons, structures, cultures, all kinds of stuff. So it's pretty, pretty fascinating. But I can, I can see that. I can relate to that. Final question here on the final four is what is something that no one or very few people know about you? Um, You've given us a couple. I, say, I, would, I would say yeah. the Chinese um, because not many people would guess that. Um, oh, I don't know. That's, that's my good one. Um, I, 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 we have a place in Florida, a condo, and I, that's my favorite place to be. I, mean, I, I love that place. Favorite place on the planet? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those places I can just go and relax and you know, nothing, nothing else matters. It's the best. Now, is it because of the structure itself or is it because it's by a body of water or? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's right on the beach and it's, um, there's restaurants right around. Everything's there. It's a very like close place. And, um, I've been, we've been there since I was like 12. I, it's just one of those places where I'll always, I think, go back, you know, as long as I live and, and always enjoy it. So that's great. That's awesome. Well, Evan, we want to thank you for taking time. Uh, to join us here on the podcast and uh, it's great to kind of get to know you a little bit better and have our fans kind of um, get a little bit of a, a glimpse of uh, what makes you know you the player you are and and uh, the boilermaker you are and we uh, we appreciate you taking time yeah thanks for having me i appreciate it, it was fun all right that's episode 60 here on the boilerball podcast and we want to thank our listeners uh, for listening uh, remind reminder if anybody wants to drop us a line boilerball podcast at gmail.com And until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well.